Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining in our ADEA podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about telehealth and credential diabetes educators. My name is Rachel Freeman. I'm the Professional Services and Education Manager at ADEA, and I also have on the line a panel of experts who will be talking about their experiences with telehealth. We also have Susan Davidson, the CEO of ADEA, and welcome her to her first podcast, I think, Susan, is that right? That's right. Thank you, Rachel. I'm very glad to be here today. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule because I know you've been working on uh, lots of things around COVID-19 at the moment and one of them has been telehealth. Would you like to just update uh, the listeners on what's been happening in that space? Yes, I would. Thanks, Rachel. Um, there has been a lot happening in this space and it's it's moving uh, continuously. Uh, so everyone will probably be aware that, um, co- that telehealth arrangements were implemented for some health professionals in mid-March and ADA uh, did quite a bit of advocacy to ensure that CDEs were included in any future consideration of expanded telehealth arrangements. So we uh, wrote to the Minister for Health and various other ministers uh, to raise the profile of diabetes education and CDEs to make sure that CDEs would have access. Uh, We also sought the support of various other organisations in that advocacy. So Diabetes Australia and the Australian Diabetes Society also supported um, our advocacy to ministers uh, and others. Diabetes Victoria and Diabetes New South Wales ACT also supported that advocacy. And we had members uh, very nicely supporting it as well. So we had asked members uh, to write to their local federal MP by letter or email. uh, And we also asked them to support the online petition and campaign, which were initiated by some of our members. And all of that advocacy was wonderful. Um, Throughout that process, we're also working very closely with other allied health organisations to advocate collectively for telehealth for allied health professionals, including CDEs. And this was also uh, a really strong um, support for our advocacy. So all in all, uh, it was a really great collective effort and uh, I'd like to thank our members for supporting the campaign. Working together uh, ensured that we were successful in gaining access to these COVID-19 telehealth arrangements. But we won't stop there. We'll also be advocating for these new arrangements to continue so CDs can continue to provide telehealth into the future. Thanks, Susan. And it was really important, I think, in our advocacy that telehealth wasn't just video conferencing, but we really strive to make sure that telephone services were included, uh, particularly for people that might not have access to video conferencing facilities, and also that Um, you know, any diabetes education can be done via telehealth and that it was really around person-centred care and the promotion of um, what a person with diabetes might need and how we would move forward with that telehealth service. Yes, that's right, Rachel. That was really important. The initial discussions were around telehealth, which was defined as video conferencing. And we're aware that uh, some of our CDEs may not be comfortable with video conferencing, but more particularly, some clients may not be comfortable or just may not have access. So it was really important to extend that out to telephone as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I guess the 
telehealth service is now including uh, a phone service item number and also a video conferencing item number um, under the Medicaid benefits scheme and, and schedule and all of that information is online on our ADA website. Um, people can access that um, from there. What we also did was produce a telehealth guideline um, and collective effort of our national office team at ADEA um, and that's available on our website too, isn't it, Susan? That's right, Rachel. It is available on our website. And I think it's also important to point out that these telehealth arrangements are uh, available through the MBS and the Department of Veterans Affairs has also followed suit uh, with telehealth services being able to be offered to Department of Veterans Affairs clients. I think it's also another thing that's important to note is that uh, it is still important that face-to-face -face consultations are available. So the government is not requiring that all consultations are undertaken through telehealth arrangements in a COVID-19 environment. They do recognise that there are circumstances where face-to-face -face is required. Um, they do recognise that um, home visits are required in some cases, particularly for disabled and the frail elderly and so on. So there are still opportunities to provide face-to-face -face support, although of course the department is very clear that uh, there should be uh, strict hygiene and safety protocols in place where they are provided face-to-face, uh, -face, particularly where there are uh, with either the health professional or the client is over 70 or immunocompromised. So I think it's uh, important the members note that, that telehealth is another option that's available and is recommended, of course, in certain circumstances, for example, when um, working with someone with suspected COVID-19 infection or someone who has contact with someone with suspected COVID-19 infection or actual infection. Absolutely. And I guess the other thing maybe to note is that at the moment the telehealth services are bulk bill only, so that our CDEs can't at the moment charge any sort of gap fee, um, but that looks to be changing in the near future. Do you have any update yes. on that yet, Susan? Yes, thanks, Rachel. Um, there is actually an update today on that. Uh, the government has just announced that uh, the arrangements can be, uh, that they will be bulk billed, but uh, providers can charge a gap fee under certain circumstances. So um, the, the announcement today is that the arrangements must be bulk billed for Commonwealth concession card holders, children under 16, and those who are more vulnerable to COVID-19. But for all other clients, bulk billing is at the discretion of the health professional, as long as there's informed financial consent prior to the provision of the service. And that includes the fees to be charged and out-of-pocket costs for the client. So this means that um, CDEs can apply the usual billing practices now to the telehealth items for patients who don't fit the criteria of being Commonwealth concession card holders, children under 16, or those who are more vulnerable to COVID-19. Now, it's, I think it's really important that um, CDS just double check the MBS website. Uh, it's probably important to check it very regularly because the advice is changing almost daily at the moment. Uh, the department is 
looking at other ways of providing services and providing updated advice to fill the gaps um, and the questions that health professionals are asking. So, for example, uh, the, um, the arrangements for people who are vulnerable to COVID-19, um, there's a list of who fits in that criteria. So that's, for example, people who are required to self-isolate or self-quarantine, those who are 70 or older, those of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander descent uh, and so on. So it is important that um, members do check the MBS website and uh, we will continue to provide updates as well through our daily updates to members, which we're posting on our homepage of the ADA website, but we're also directly emailing to members. Fantastic. Well, I think that covers a good summary to start with on uh, what ADA has been doing in regards to telehealth at the moment. We might um, cross over to Laura Zimmerman for our first panel question. So Laura Zimmerman is a registered nurse, CDE in Queensland. She has her own private practice and employs a multidisciplinary team of diabetes educators. Welcome, Laura, and thank you for joining us today. Hi, Susan. Hi, Rachel. I'm doing really great. Thank you for asking. So, Laura, the first question is, can you uh, describe any difficulties that CDEs might have to adapting to using telehealth? There can be a few difficulties of adapting into telehealth, especially if you haven't done it before. So there's usually that kind of that comfortable feeling that you have of relating to someone when you're in person and then you have to find ways to relate to people when they're on the other end of the phone or on the other other end of the screen and still try to achieve those same clinical outcomes. So that can be something to adapt to. Um, as CDEs, we use a lot of, you know, education materials, a lot of drawing. So it's using platforms and um, methods to where we can still um, communicate um, and send those through efficiently. Um, additionally, we still need to be able to communicate with our team members. We're not going to be down the hall or be able to, you know, chat with the GP or the specialist, you know, necessarily in between appointments as easily. Um, so we're going to be able to or we're going to need to be able to send letters efficiently and with every patient, not only for the Medicare guidelines, but because that is what the patients need for um, for comprehensive and, and coordinated care. Um, so we're going to need, you know, secure messaging platforms and, you know, automation through our practice, you know, management systems, et cetera. Thank you, Laura. That was great. Um, what's, the next question is for you. What is the best way that you think um, CDs can adapt to using telehealth? So the key suggestions that I would give for someone who's looking to adapt into this new world of telehealth from doing mostly face-to-face -face consults is the kind of agility that I would recommend to any clinician in any setting. So I remember Bernadette from up north, I remember smiling in the back of the conference room when she was um, commenting on how she can give a consult under a tree because I've done the same, you know, drawing in the dirt, you know, with the stick because that's just where the consult happened at that time, you know, on the side of the clinic. I think as CDEs, we can adapt to anything and I don't think that telehealth is any different. So, you know, there's going to be times when the system crashes. There's going to be times when you know, when the, um, you know, you know, when, when the programs don't work or the patients don't get the link, you know, all we have to do is we just have to be resilient and just figure out 
what we need to do in that moment to best serve the patient to get the best outcomes we can. So sometimes it's, okay, CoView doesn't work. Okay, let's send a Zoom link. Um, if their computer isn't working, if they can't get that up, then let's do it by a phone call. Um, you know, if we can't, email the the information maybe we have to send it through the actual mail you know i think um when we look at telehealth it's it's no different than how we adapt in in our daily work life thanks laura that was great too and what about why do you think it's important for cdes to embrace using telehealth particularly um, in the current climate but also into the future I think it's incredibly vital for CDEs to adapt and to embrace telehealth because for the next while, however long that's going to be, this is going to be our new normal. And our patients, the 1.7 plus you know, million patients living with diabetes, people living with diabetes who are going to be diagnosed with diabetes down the road, you know, this uh, they're going to need the highest levels of care that we can provide. And if this is the way that we are able to provide the care, then we need to maximize it. We need to make the best of it. And we need to do work together as a team and share our knowledge and share our successes and our failures so that we can do the best we can to serve our community the best we can. Thanks, Laura, for joining us again today. Um, and I hope that those insights from Laura have provided our listeners with some tools and tips they can use in setting up or adapting to um, diabetes education through telehealth. Bye Susan, bye Rachel, thank you so much for having me. The next person we have on our panel is Amanda Bartlett. Amanda is a registered nurse and midwife, CDE, and works in New South Wales. Thanks for joining us Amanda. Hi Rachel, hi Susan, I'm very well. Thanks for inviting me to talk today. What suggestions do you have to set up a telehealth system? When setting up for telehealth, I think organisation is the key. And the first thing you need to look at is the space that you're working in and making sure that ergonomically it's set up so that you're well supported with a screen at head height. You can look into the screen. You need to check your platform. You need to check your Wi-Fi and you need to ensure that the audio visual is working really well. The next step would be to engage with your clients once you've worked out that your setup is, is working and ensure that they have the same equipment for the appointment and that they can either do audio visual with you or if they can't do audio visual, then you'll need to do a telephone consultation instead. What I've found since I've set up is that it's much lower than a face-to-face -face consultation while you're waiting for the person to read or hear and respond. And so I found that spacing my appointments out and allowing longer for appointments has been really important. When selecting a, a platform to launch your telehealth with, you need to ensure uh, firstly that it meets the requirements legally for health consultations and also you need to check your own indemnity insurance to ensure that you're covered for telehealth. When setting up for a consultation, I ask the clients for their email address if they have one and I email a package ahead. This includes a privacy sheet for them to sign 
It includes an explanation of how the consultation will take place and also a package of information. And if you're not sharing screens, it's useful to be able to say, I'm at the top of page seven when you're, when you're teaching a patient. And I found that that's working really well for me. Thanks again, Amanda, for joining us today. Thanks, Rachel. And on behalf of the members and the board, I really would like to thank the work that National Office is doing at this time. It's incredible how you're supporting our members. Stay safe. Thanks for inviting me to talk. The next person we have on the line is Robbie Tyson. Robbie is a dietitian, CDE, in New South Wales as well. Yeah, great. Thanks very much, Susan and Rachel. Um, I appreciate being invited on to talk. Thanks, Robbie, for coming and joining us today. And we just wanted to talk to you about your experiences with working with telehealth platforms and which platform are you using um, and how you came to choosing that platform and why. Sure. Um, look, yeah, I've uh, have been using a telehealth platform um, this year, uh, and obviously, given what's happened recently, there's been a, a, a big spike in the interest on telehealth platforms, and we know, now know that Allied Health can access that and uh, also be doing their their consultations either phone or on phone or video conferencing. Um, I guess uh, when we're considering what sort of platform to use, uh, if to use a platform at all, it's it's necessary to really get an understanding of what the clinician um, needs to take into account, I guess, uh, when they uh, are either going to decide to use a telehealth platform that includes video conferencing or whether they're just going to concentrate on phone consultations only. Um, so their practice or their, their clinic needs, I guess, need to be taken into account first of all. I do use a, a platform that's online, so it's it's a cloud-based platform that um, some allied health teams, a couple of allied health professionals, and 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 software providers have put together. And like I said, it, it may, that may not be necessary or needed for any any practice. However, I prefer to do that for a couple of reasons. That um, that one provides video conferencing uh, capabilities and the capabilities that they provide are also secure as well. So that's important given that we're discussing medical information. Uh, that platform's called HealthBank. Um, it's also a complete um, practice management system as well. So as I sort of mentioned before, if someone, a clinician was looking to, to, to get involved in this, they'd need to consider um, a few things, I think, before they delved into that because um, that's sort of the out-of-the-box, everything in one ready-to-go system. However, you know, if you've got a small practice, for example, and you weren't looking to, to scale it and you didn't require that video conferencing capability, you might prefer just to use phone consultations. Um, and then there's apps as well that you can use that uh, are free or don't cost too much at all that you can use for your... Um, practice management system. They also include um, automatic SMS reminders to patients and things like that. But if you're looking to scale your clinic, I guess, on a much larger level, then a complete all-in-one platform such as the one that I use would, would probably be, um, obviously, you can then you've got a much larger window of opportunity to scale the practice if you've got an online clinic rather than the face-to-face clinic. Um, although given what's going on at the moment with uh, the COVID, we obviously a lot of these 
consultations are going to be pushed to online or, or phone consultations. Now, I guess other things that need to be taken into account, I guess your discipline, you know, there might be some um, allied health practitioners out there. I guess we're talking about uh, credential diabetes educators in this case, but if you're a physiotherapist, for example, then some of the stuff they may not be able to do face-to-face. And I guess even diabetes educators, at some point, some of those um, uh, those sessions are going to require a visual aspect to them. For example, if you're commencing insulin for a, for a patient, you might want to do that demonstration visually as well. Um, conversely, though, I guess if there's people who aren't really au fait with the internet or they don't have good internet access or aren't going to be able to log themselves into an account um, to to use that platform that you've developed, they may prefer um, just a telephone consultation with some hard copy resources and things like that. Uh, and the main reasons that that I would, would use, I guess, this complete platform is that it still gives the capability to do the phone consultations um, and it allows the the consumer or the the client to be able to log into that system and book an appointment online Um, and it really takes out any of the pain or headache in terms of managing that practice. It reduces the amount of phone calls that you're going to be taking because the um, clients can just access and pick um, pre-planned consultations that you've made available for them online to view. They can then book it, see the prices and then they just log into the system either by making a phone call at that particular time or by uh, participating in the video conferencing um, software that's provided in that platform. Thank you, Robbie. Yeah, thanks very much, Susan uh, and Rachel, and a pleasure to be a part of it. All the best. Our fourth uh, expert panellist today is Amy Rush. Amy Rush is a dietitian, CDE in Western Australia and has been working using telehealth for a little while but has just started using um, telehealth for education around continuous glucose monitoring or CGMs and pump start since when pump starts. Thank you for joining us today, Amy. Hi, Susan and Rachel. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about the techniques you're using or any difficulties or things to keep in mind in using telehealth for CGM and insulin pump starts? Yeah, so CGM I have previously done a couple of times before with patients who have been over-east and needed some extra help setting up CGMs that they have had sent directly to themselves. So that one wasn't new. The particular CGMs that patients can have sent directly to themselves, they can look online and watch videos and things like that. So it makes the actual talking through much easier once the patient has watched those videos or watched those online tutorials. Pumps is a a little bit of a different um, situation, but... um, In the same premise, there is also some online tutorials, some online videos that you can point your patients towards to look at and to watch prior to doing the pump setup um, over a video conferencing session. So the biggest challenge, obviously, is just not being there face to face, which um, is 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 an obvious one. 
But I think that it's quite easy to work around. So I am lucky enough to have my own um, versions of each of the pumps that I work with. So I have the pumps, the reservoirs, the cannulas, everything in front of me, and so does the patient. I have my training checklist in front of me and the patient has the training uh, manuals that they get sent to them with their pumps in front of them. I've got my own copy of that as well. So I work through the pump start or the CGM start exactly the way I would if I was sitting face to face with the person except that they've got theirs and I've got mine. So that is really the same. The um, I suppose the big... Um, not the big issue, but the, the where, where it takes a little bit longer is that when the patient is inputting data, it's really important that I am double checking and seeing what they're doing. So it's a process of them holding it up to the screen, um, making sure that I can actually see it, which will take a little bit of time, but we get used to that. And they're holding up each screen to make sure that they're ticking off the right thing or moving on to the next thing or making sure they've put in the right rates and ratios and things like that. I suppose another thing to add here is um, that the importance of separating whether this is someone who is currently on a pump and is either upgrading or just changing, uh, sorry, just upgrading or changing over to a new pump or whether they are people who are just starting on pumps. Now, as up to now, um, I have only done upgrades or moving over to another pump. So this person is um, the people who I have, have put on over um, video conferencing have been experienced pump users. I am yet to put a pump, uh, a new pump or set a new pump up via video conferencing. Um, I'm not too sure how I will go about that yet. I haven't faced it yet. Um, but I, not knowing how long that we're going to be in the situation that we are in, I do foresee that at some point this will become an issue. We are going to need to put patients on pumps um, if we are going to be in this situation for a prolonged period of time of not being able to do face-to-face. -face. And we will need to work around that. And this is where we will, will really need to rally in using those online resources, particularly, and I'm sure everybody uh, is aware of the Medtronic and the T-Slim online resources and online learning modules for patients. And they are both written and video links that they can watch prior. And we ask them to do that prior to a normal face-to-face -face as well, but they're going to become extra important. And I think also relying a little bit on the rep from those companies as well. I had a um, rep from one company do a pre-learning telehealth conference with a patient prior to him and I setting up and going through it all again the next day. This was just last week and, and he found that really beneficial. So I think we are going to really need to expand um, the horizons here and think outside the box because we don't want our patients to be waiting um, extended, potentially extended periods of time to get on a pump if this is something that they were wanting to do in the next, say, six months. Thank you, Amy. That's great insight to um, your work practices and hopefully that will help our listeners as well, particularly as um, NDSS has their new initiatives around CGM and insulin pumps. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And our last guest speaker today is Anne Bush. Anne Bush is a registered nurse, CDE in Victoria. 
Thank you, Anne, for joining us. Um, hi, uh, Susan and Rachel. Um, I'm doing very well, thank you, in these um, difficult times. We're um, learning to be agile and um, staying healthy and trying to stay at home as much as possible. We have a specific question for you around older people accessing telehealth. So can you describe um, anything that we should be considering when older people might be needing to use telehealth and what are the the differences or the things that we might need to consider in doing that? Okay, so um, I guess I've been using telehealth for quite some time um, now. Uh, I started off using it for some of my clients who were um, expats and wanted to stick with me while they were overseas. Um, and so I was using different formats like Skype and um, FaceTime and over the telephone, those kind of things. Since then, I've started implementing it for some of my older clients. I live in a um, regional area where um, sometimes transport's not so easy. We don't have a lot of public transport around. and Sometimes clients just can't get to our face-to-face -face appointments. So I've... Um, been able to offer telephone consults to those people um, and sometimes Skype consults, but I guess they find those things a little bit daunting, a little bit harder. So in recent times, pre-COVID, uh, I've just been learning about the beauty of Zoom and um, finding that the Zoom platform is an easy one to use. We can send the invite to the individual um, and they can just click on the link so um, and, and bring, us in, bring themselves into the consult. So that's what I've been using for some of my older people. I know a lot of people probably tend to believe that older people don't have the technology available to them or they don't want to learn about the technology. But in my experience, most people will have access to a smartphone even if they don't really know how to use it as a smartphone. It's just a device for making telephone calls, a lot of older people think. Or they might have a computer or a laptop. But a lot of them, I find, have the um, the iPads. The, so... Um, we can, we can use any of those platforms to, to set up telehealth uh, via Zoom with them. I can assist them with um, setting it up or there's normally a family member who can, can um, download the app so they're ready to go. And then as I said, it's just as simple as me sending them an email or a text message uh, with the link on it and they can connect to me. So I have been using telehealth a little bit more with my older clients now and especially now as we've had this issue with COVID and a lot of people don't want to leave their homes um, but still want to be able to access services. Uh, I've been um, utilising that. I must admit it's, it's going pretty well. For those older people who haven't used it before, probably the first session that they use it, uh, we spend a lot of time talking about how wonderful technology is, uh, not so much time talking about um, how they are and their diabetes and any issues that they might have. So they're all very fascinated with the, um, with the technology and being able to see it, it ourselves in real time. Uh, yeah, so keeping people on track is one of those things. But then in subsequent appointments, uh, they're getting more used to the technology and they might be then starting to, to share it with family and they think they're pretty pretty clever at being able to do that. So I think one of the things is we can't underestimate our older people that we can offer them and we can support them to utilise different um, formats for, for telehealth. And if all else fails, we can always use the telephone to be able to conduct our consults as well. 
Well, obviously, there's sometimes the challenge of being able to set up the um, the system in the first place. So um, that might mean that you need to assist them in a face-to-face visit. I helped a lady um, the other day who had a, a telephone. It was a smartphone and we needed to um, upload some apps and she wasn't sure that her phone would even be able to do that, whether it was compatible to do that or not. So I just asked her to bring it into the console and we were able to set up those things ourselves. We actually um, set up the, the Zoom app as well so that we can we can um, talk to each other. And we had a little practice just there in the room straight away. Um, so she was able to see how things are. So I guess one of the barriers is um, whether people have got confidence in using technology or not. Um, as I said, often they do have the platforms that they can use to, um, to utilise the technology, but they might not know how to use it. So being able to support them with that is one of the one of the um, barriers maybe to utilising that. Um, as I said, if they really don't have technology, and I was speaking to a lady yesterday who doesn't have a mobile phone, doesn't have a computer, has no technology available to herself at all, doesn't have internet in her home, and we're just using telephone. So there are ways of getting around it. And she found the telephone consult really useful as well. Um, I guess some of the other things are just making sure that they're aware of setting up the room for um, the consult. So making sure there's no distractions. Um, I had one consult where I was speaking to a gentleman and his wife kept buttoning all the time. Uh, didn't want to be part of the consult but was asking whether he wanted a cup of coffee and then make the dog do tricks in the background and all of those things. So it can be quite distracting. So just suggesting to them that they do sit in a quiet place, happy to have family members attend if they're happy for the family members to attend but um, that, that everyone doesn't speak at once and, and that there are no distractions in the room. Great. Thank you, Anne. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, hopefully, uh, I'm no expert, as I said um, before, but um, hopefully some of my um, suggestions that I've given and some of my experiences helping other people to feel more confident in using telehealth ongoing. Thank you. Thank you to all of our panellists today and for joining us in our ADA podcast on telehealth for credential diabetes educators. Thank you again to Susan Davidson, the ADA CEO, for joining us as well and giving her insight to the advocacy that ADA has done. Susan, is there any last words that you wanted to mention now that you've had a little bit of time to think? Um, anything that we might have missed in updating people on telehealth and for CDEs? Thanks, Rachel. Uh, probably the things I would make as closing comments would be uh, just to remind listeners to check for our regular COVID-19 member updates, which are emailed to all members. They're also on the homepage of the ADA website, as I mentioned earlier. Um, and also just to let um, listeners know that if they aren't receiving these COVID-19 member updates by email, that they would please check the email address they've provided us in their member profile. Uh, we're aware that some members, uh, particularly working in the public hospital system, aren't receiving emails because their workplace filters block them. So if any of listeners are working in public hospitals and not receiving emails, please uh, contact us or update your profile in your uh, update your member profile. Uh, if for, you're not receiving emails and you're not sure why, also please let us know. You can contact us at admin at adea.com.au and we'll try to find out what the issue might be so that you do receive them. That would be my advice. Uh, just keep up to date with um, the changes. As I mentioned earlier, they are uh, things are changing quite 
regularly and that's why we're providing updates. They're daily at this stage because the um, there are changes happening so frequently. Um, but in any case, the latest information is always available on the homepage of the ADA website. Great. Thanks so much, Susan, and everyone for joining us today. We hope that you got some good information out of this podcast. Um, it will be available through the ADEA Learning Management System and, as usual, on our ADEA Podcast SoundCloud account. Thanks again for joining us and we look forward to you joining us for our next podcast in a few weeks' time.